Thank you for choosing this podcast from the Calling Community Church. Our mission is to create space for all people, to experience the compassionate love of the Father, and to discover the calling He has for their life. Please enjoy the message today, recorded live inside the Wilson Performing Arts Auditorium at Platte County High School in Platte City, Missouri. Good morning, everyone. You guys braved the winter snow and the ice. How many of you are done with winter like I am? So I heard this morning that more snow this, this winter than in the past three years in Kansas City combined. And, uh, and so, and unfortunately, I think we do have one more, at least one more snowstorm coming that we have to brave for. So I realized, uh, Stephanie, why uh, the, the auditorium is empty. It actually has nothing to do with snow and ice. It's just the word spread that Brady wasn't going to be here this morning. And so that's why it's a little empty uh, this morning. But when Brady asked me to share this morning, I said, well, man, I am honored to do that. Uh, what would you like me to share on? Is there a particular passage or topic that you want me to share on? And he said, well, everybody's reading through Acts and Thessalonians, right? Everybody's reading through Acts. Okay. And so he said, since everybody's reading on Acts and Thessalonians, you know, just you're wide open. Anything Acts or Thessalonians, and I said, uh, no, no, Brady, you don't understand. I, I'd rather have you give me like a specific chapter, direction, topic, and he said, nope, Steve, you pray about it, and I trust you the Lord's going to give you the right message. So, uh, disclaimer here, what you hear this morning, Brady has nothing to do with, okay? So this, because he, he just said, as long as it's from Acts or Thessalonians, then, then you're good to go, Steve. And so I, I have to admit, I prayed and prayed about this. I was telling Brady Rogers that, you know, the challenge for me is if you leave that open wide, like I like to study. My wife hasn't seen much of me the last few days because I've just been studying, studying. And so when, you, when he left open Acts and First and Second Thessalonians, that was a lot of studying to do, Greg, you know, over that and to try and figure out where to go. And I kept coming back to something the Lord was just laying on my heart. And I have to be honest with you, I just kind of was trying to push that aside, Jimmy. I was, I was kind of going, nah, I don't feel comfortable going there. And it just kind of, I kept praying about it. Well, Lord, is this what I should do? And then I'd kind of go down a different path. And then the Lord was saying no and kind of bringing me back to this, Justin. And so uh, I don't feel qualified uh, to be able to share with you what I'm going to share with you this morning. But this morning is something that the Lord's challenging me with. And so that's what this is. This isn't just a message to you all. This isn't somebody sharing that has great expertise in this, sharing how to do it from my own personal expertise. This is just me sharing something the Lord's challenged me with. And so hopefully, uh, maybe it'll help you all because it has definitely uh, shed some light on some things that I feel I need to be working on. So it brought some questions to me. As I started thinking about this morning, by the way, Joe, I appreciate everything you do. I'm sorry I've been traveling the last few weeks and haven't been able to help, but that is an awesome ministry, and I get so blessed every time I get to go out there and help, but I haven't been able to the last few weeks, but I'll be back uh, in March helping out. I promise you and commit that, and it's just awesome to see how our church is helping uh, to help families in need there, and Joe and Steve and the group there are doing such an awesome job, so I highly encourage you. It's the easiest thing in the world to do, right, Joe? I mean, Joe's got this thing organized, and you will be blessed if you help out with the treasure chest on, on Wednesday nights. I promise you that. So give that a shot if you haven't thought about doing that before. But here's a question that, that I, was, I was thinking about. Why are we here this morning? You ever thought about that? Why, why are we here this morning? Why do we come on Sunday mornings to gather in this awesome auditorium that the Lord's has worked out for us to be able to rent from the school facility here. Why are we here this morning? Uh, why, why, 
what is calling community church about? What is the church? Are there examples for us of what calling community church should be about? So when Brady was talking about Acts and 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, I kept coming back to the 1st and 2nd chapters of Acts. So if you want to turn your Bibles to 1st and 2nd chapters of Acts there, and I'm actually going to start in Matthew, but before I do that, because I think some people have, do have misconceptions of um, what the church is, and sometimes that's our own fault in the church because sometimes things happen like simple things like typos and bulletins, right? So uh, here's a, a bulletin, a church bulletin that read, the senior choir invites any member of the congregation who enjoys sinning to join the choir. I think they left out a G there uh, that was <laughs> said sinning instead of singing. Here's another one. Barbara remains in the hospital and needs blood donors for more transfusions. She is also having trouble sleeping and requests tapes of Pastor Nelson's sermons. <laughs> I'm not sure how Pastor Nelson felt about that one. Um, applications are now being accepted for two-year-old nursery workers. The ladies of the church have cast off clothing every, of every kind. They may be seen in the basement on Friday afternoon. We'll just leave it there. I won't read any more after that one. But uh, sometimes maybe it's our own fault that people get the wrong perceptions of what the church is supposed to be. So looking into the scriptures, uh, before we go into Acts, first and, uh, Acts chapter 1 and 2, I wanted to go back to Matthew 16 because I was, I was curious, where did the word church actually originate? When was it first shown? I thought maybe it was in the Old Testament. Curiously, I thought maybe it was the Apostle Paul that was the first person to use the word church. Then I thought, well, maybe it was Peter, right? Because uh, upon this rock I will build my church. I thought it had to be one of the apostles because I found out that it wasn't in the word the, Old Te the word wasn't used in the Old Testament. Interestingly, if you go to Matthew chapter 16, if you have your finger in Acts, you can go to Matthew chapter 16. The first time that it's written in the scriptures that we have is actually from Jesus Christ himself. I never knew that before. It's interesting. The first time the word is used was by Jesus Christ himself because he's the founder of the church. And so in Matthew 16, chapter 13, or verse 13, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, and probably the best answer Simon Peter ever gave throughout his lifetime, he said, you are the Christ, I put emphasis on the, the son of the living God. That was Peter's answer. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. Because, see, at that time, everyone just thought, even some of the apostles didn't necessarily fully understand that he was the Son of God. They just thought Jesus was a great man. But, so that's why, that's why uh, Jesus commended Peter, and he says, And I tell you that you are Peter. Notice he, he switches from Simon to Peter here. And he says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, he wasn't talking about on Peter he was going to build his church. What he was talking about was on the statement that Peter made of who Jesus Christ is. The church was built on that statement of that Jesus Christ is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what it was built on. So interestingly, when Matthew penned the word church, because that was the word that was used, um, interestingly, in the Greek, 
um, what he used was the word ecclesia, ecclesia, excuse me. And if you look at that word in Greek, that word is it's very interesting because it actually means, um, first of all, it means uh, ek, which means uh, come out, and then uh, kaleo means called one. So basically what's happening there is it's saying there in the Greek that the, we have a distinct purpose. We are, we've been called out from others. The term reflects an assembly of people that have been defined by a distinct purpose. That's what ecclesia means. We've been called out. We are a distinct people defined by a distinct purpose. So I, I wanted to real quickly just, just that I will build my church. When, when Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church, first of all, the word I um, he talks about that means he made it clear from the beginning. Jesus himself said, I will build my church. When he said I, that means that he is the architect of the church that we're a part of. The next word, will. He says, I will build it. It meant that it wasn't already built. If that means that it's something that is in progress, that's still in progress today, that Jesus today, over 2,000 years later, is still building. It's still in that process. The third term, build, means that Christ will enlarge it as he pleases. When you're building something, you have the control over building it to the size or capacity you want to. You have the, uh, you have the, the, the ability, the authority to build that as you choose. Christ today is still building his church, enlarging his church as he so chooses. And then the fourth word there, I will build my church, my, that again is affirming, just like the I, it's affirming his ownership and his authority. Not only is he the originator, the architect of the church, but he is the head of the church, and that is something we must never forget, is that Christ is the head of the church, the church that we belong to, that we're associated for, and that is our focus. The, the rock that it was built upon was not a man in Peter, it was in the that what he defined, who Christ was, what his beliefs were, that he was the son of the living God. That's why we're here today, right? We're here today to worship, to be called out people, to come together as, as an assembly to worship the only son of the living God. And that's, I love that song. Thank you so much, Tony, for picking Reckless Love. It's one of my favorite songs. And, and I love that song, uh, talking about his reckless love, you know, how he comes after us. And, and we don't deserve his love at all, but he came after us. And it's through his church that he really exemplifies and shows his love to us. i got to read you a quote from Chuck Swindoll. When he was talking about the origin of the church, he said, The church is a body of people called out from among the world for the distinct and unique purpose of glorifying their Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus referred to his church, he was not referring to a building on real estate, but instead to a body of individuals who love Christ supremely. This body is without political roots or cultural boundaries. It is devoid of linguistic or racial barriers, right, Brady? The church of Jesus Christ is not a business establishment with a cross stuck up on top. Rather, the church Jesus promised to build was a spiritual entity, and Jesus alone would be the head. That's what Swindoll said about the origin of the church. And I was just really inspired when I read that. So let's just kind of take an, an imaginary time uh, travel here, and let's go back to just about a year later in history after Jesus said those words to Peter, upon you I will build my church. And it's interesting because in Acts 1, I think it's 3 through 5, he actually says there, he this is right before he's about to ascend into heaven, and he tells his disciples um, that to wait in Jerusalem. Let me just read it to you there. 
In verse 3, Acts 1, 3 through 5, he says, After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. This was after he raised from the dead on the third day after he was crucified on the cross. And he appeared back to his disciples and apostles. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem. He told them to wait in Jerusalem. This is before he ascended into heaven. But wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days, so he told him to wait in Jerusalem because this was what was coming, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So this is a year after he told Peter, upon you, or upon that statement, the rock my church will be built, then he's telling the disciples here, wait in Jerusalem, this is before he ascends, because in a few days, he says right here, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And it was on that day, the day of Pentecost, that the church was officially formed. That that, uh, Jesus Christ officially formed the church that we are now a part of. So interestingly, going back again, and I hope this doesn't bore you, I kind of like history and studying things. So the day of Pentecost, I found out, was actually not necessarily based on a specific day per se, but it was part of a festival. Interestingly, the festival in the um, Israel times, back then in Old Testament times, was a festival of harvest. Okay, so there's a tie-in here. So the festival of harvest, actually, was after the festival of the first fruits. The festival of the first fruits was the harvest of barley. The The festival of the harvest was the harvest of wheat, okay? And so what happened is, after the harvest of barley, the first day of the harvest of barley, they would count 50 days. I'm not exactly sure why that was, but they would count 50 days. Pentecost, in Greek, means 50, okay? So 50, Pentecost, was 50 days after the day of first fruits, the barley harvest, and now they've switched to the celebration of the harvest, um, the feast of harvest is what it was called in the Old Testament time, okay? But that particular day, which is 50 days after the harvest of the first fruits, was called the day of Pentecost. You say, why are you telling us all this? There's a reason, and we'll get back to it in a little bit, okay? But I just wanted to set that up, because it's very interesting. I never knew this before studying this, this this week. And so here's the thing, is on that day of Pentecost, which was in the celebration of the feast of harvest, it was actually a Jewish religious law that all adults, as particularly men, would come from all over the world to Jerusalem for, to celebrate, it was called a pilgrim festival. They had certain festivals that was required that they would all come to Jerusalem, okay? And so at that time, what happened is you had people from all over the world at that time, that known land, coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of the Harvest, Brady. Because Jesus was about to start a different harvest, Not a harvest of wheat, but on that day when he filled his apostles and disciples with the Holy Spirit, and that's when the day that the church was started, this church that we're a part of, what happened was he was actually changing from this feast of harvest of grains to his harvest of people. That's what happened. And so this, this was all really interesting to me, David, because I was thinking, wow, I never knew this, that all this, this terminology and what all this meant. And so here's the reason. Has anybody ever been to, um, like, New York City? Anybody ever been to New York City? I like to visit New York City. I wouldn't ever want to live there. Some of you might, uh, you know, agree with me on that. And one of the things that's interesting to me about New York City, I've been there a number of times on business trips. I've gotten lost a few times in New York City. 
My wife one time wasn't with me, and it was late at night, and I called her while I was walking, and she said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm walking back to my hotel. It's about 11 o'clock at night in New York City. And um, she said, why are you walking? Well, I said, I got a little bit lost, um, but I think I've got my way now. And, you know, and she says, well, how far are you? And I said, well, I think I'm about 30 blocks away. So I, I think I'll be there pretty soon. So <laughs> but here's the thing when you go to New York City is you find all the different people groups, right? It's, in a, it's like the melting pot of America. And there's just every type of different nationality. I mean, you can go to Chinatown. You can go to the Bronx. You can go wherever. There's just so many different people groups that are all assembled in New York City, right? Same thing in Chicago. Well, that's the same thing that happened in Jerusalem because it was a law in, in Jewish law that for, the feast, of, uh, for the, har- the feast of harvest, okay, that they would come together on the day of Pentecost to celebrate this feast of the harvest. So what's happening is you have this melting pot of people coming together. I think this is very significant. Again, I did not ever notice this until studying this this week. Why, was the, why did he launch the church on the day of Pentecost? Why do you think that was? Because all of these people came together. We're going to read in a little bit how on that first day after Peter preached that first sermon, the first gospel sermon that we read in the New Testament uh, after the church was launched, after Jesus ascended, over 3,000 people were saved. Guess what those 3,000 people did? They went back to their lands that they came from that that wouldn't have happened. You wouldn't have had that assembling of all those people from different parts of the land. See, all this was planned out by God. It's amazing. And that's why in that first upper room, when the Holy Spirit came down, there were about 120 believers, right? And then after Peter preaches his sermon, as we're going to see in a little bit, over 3,000 people were added to them in one day. In one day. They went from 120 to 3,000. How cool would it be if Calling Community Church went from 120, which is maybe about what we have in here today, to over 3,000 in one day? Hey, I'd take it in one year, right, Justin? But in one day. And so when, then what happened is because, again, of this special festival, they all went out into all these different lands that they had come from, and then they were able to, in their own culture, in their own language, share their newfound belief in their own culture and in their new area. And guess what happened? The church of Jesus Christ was launched in a miraculous way because of all that that came together. So as, what I, was, as I was studying, the thing I was thinking about was, well, what about us here at Calling Community Church? So we're a part of that amazing church. And what does it mean for us? And, I'm not, and I wasn't thinking about the church per se, the group as Calling Community Church, but I was really studying this week about what does it mean for me? I'm a part of this church that Jesus launched. You're a part of this church that Jesus launched. Now, we happen to call our little group Calling Community Church, right? The Calling Community Church. But the question that I was struggling with is, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for you? And where can I get an example of what am I supposed to do so that I'm fulfilling what Jesus wants me to do as my part of his church? And so, obviously, it's very hard to get away from Acts. There's chapters, Brady and I were talking about, there's some great chapters, especially 1 Thessalonians, great examples of the New Testament. But I want to I take you to Acts 2. Um, first of all, um, when it says in Acts 2, 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And interestingly, well, let me back up one step. Acts was written by Luke. Now, who was Luke? 
He was a doctor, he was a physician. I think it's interesting that Acts, which is the chapter in the New Testament that chronicles the, the history of the church getting launched, was written by Luke, a physician. And I think one of the reasons, again, maybe how God thinks so much bigger than I could ever think, is because if you have a good physician, what do you hope that physician can do? One is you hope that they're attentive to detail, right? You know, they've given you this antibiotic three times in a row. It hasn't worked. You know, you're hoping that they're not going to give you the same thing over again, and then that can lead to other problems. Or you hope they're attentive to detail, right? The, the other thing is with a, a physician is they, they need to be able to recall things. That's why they have all those charts and everything, to know that history things. And I think it's very interesting that Luke, this physician, is the one who penned the acts because he had attention to detail and certain things that he did. So in, if you actually go back to the Greek way that he used the word when the day of Pentecost came, he actually used a Greek word which means to completely fulfill. So it wasn't just, uh, every time I've read it before, Brian, I just thought, well, the day of Pentecost came. That was this day they were supposed to gather together. It came. But actually, if you look back at the Greek word, it's the word that was used means to completely fulfill. And so I believe that you could, you know, translate this verse to say now when the day of Pentecost had been completely fulfilled, meaning that it was fulfilled because Jesus launched his church. That was the Greek word that was used there. My brother's a pastor down in, um, in Florida, and when he was in seminary, he was taking a Greek course, and he really struggled through that. And then the next semester, he signed up for another Greek course. And just as I said, hey, dude, what's, you know, why would you do that? You just really struggled through that course. He said, because... I want to be able to understand the context of what things are written about in the New Testament. If I understand the Greek words, it'll help me to understand the context a little bit better. So he, always, he helps me with my Greek. So here's what's happening. He's telling us in Acts 2 that what happened on the day of Pentecost is a fulfillment of what the Old Testament harvest celebration was all about, is what's happening there. And here's the thing. The true New Testament church is one that reflects the marks of the church which was born on that day. So what were the marks of the church born on that day? And we find that out by going to Acts chapter 2. So in Acts chapter 2, you start in verse 1 again, and when the day of Pentecost had been fulfilled, they were all in together in one place. And I was mentioning to you, you can take that verse to say when it was completely fulfilled, now when the day of Pentecost had been completely fulfilled, that they were together in one accord. The King James says they were all together in one accord, if you, if you have a King James version. So we're being told that the first mark of the New Testament church, if you want to take a couple notes, the first mark is the New Testament church was a united church. The, the New Testament church was a united church. And this is very important. So in, in case you miss it, and you all read Acts, so instead of reading through all this passage, since you all read this on your own already, I'm just going to highlight some verses. So you guys okay if we just bounce around to some verses this morning? So if you go, go forward to Acts 2, 44 through 46... 44 through 46, it says, All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They were in one accord. Now, I was thinking as I was you know, going through these points and I thought, the church was a united church, and I thought, you know, that's going to go whoop, right over everybody's heads. For, right away, they're probably going to tune it out, right? Because you're thinking, well, you know, how, well, how does that impact me? Let me just share you my personal story. 
When we first joined this church, my wife and I came here because of a long-term friendship with the Testor family. That's, that's why we came here. When we found out that they were launching this church, it was a while after you all started, and, you know, my wife and I prayed about it. Brady had talked to me, and, and we said, you know, let, let's go visit their church. We don't want to make any commitments. They're, they're friends, but let's go visit the church. We were attending Pleasant Valley across town. And so we came here, and we visited the church. And again, just being honest, we came here just because of Brady and Trish. That's, that's why we first came and visited. Then we started finding out that all these other wonderful people were in this church. But when we first came here, we just were Sunday morning pew warmers. That's all we were doing. And I hate to admit it, David, but when we were at Pleasant Valley, I kind of had shifted in that. My, my work has me travel a lot on weekends. And so I had kind of gotten in this thing where rather than feeling like I wasn't fulfilling commitments, I'm just not, I'm going to pull out of commitments there. My wife was teaching Sunday school and stuff, but I kind of pulled out of commitments. And I was just a Sunday morning pew warmer for a long time. When I came here, it was first just a Sunday morning pew warmer. Found out one day, I, I noticed Tony, you know, struggling with, with having somebody cover sound, and bless her heart, Kelly was the only person covering sound at that time. And so I said, hey, I'm, I'm green, and I just know enough to be dangerous, but if I could ever help out sometime, be willing to help that out. And you know what? That has totally changed my experience, Tony. Thank you. It's totally changed my experience at the church here. And then helping Joe, even though lately it hasn't been much, it's only been a few times, helping with the treasure chest totally changed my experience. And here's what I think it, when, you, when you say, okay, with the New Testament church, they were a united church. There is no way you can have any fathom of what that means if you're just a Sunday morning pew warmer. I, I'm just being honest from my personal experience. My personal experience, because I've been a Sunday morning pew warmer, used to be involved helping with youth groups and some stuff in some other churches and other places where my wife and I have been. She's taught Sunday school a lot. I allowed my business schedule to kind of get me in this mindset of, well, I don't want to disappoint people because I'm gone so much, so I'm just going to pull back and just be a Sunday morning pew warmer. And when I started doing that, my spiritual life started going downhill fast, Brady, because I wasn't, I wasn't plugged in. You know, it's, it's kind of like an, elect, you know, a, an electrical uh, power tool or something. If you don't have it plugged in, if it doesn't have a battery, right, if you don't have it plugged in, it's not going to do much. And what happened to me, Linda, is I, I wasn't plugged in. And so church was just a motion. It became just a motion to me. Here we are, part of the church of the living Son of God, and I was just letting it be a Sunday morning checkoff thing for me. Yep, let's go to church. And, and be honest with you, for a while there, I was kind of doing it more for my kids than for me. Because I was thinking, well, i got to be a good example for my kids, so I'm going to make sure that we're going to church every Sunday. But I wasn't plugging in. I wasn't feeling that unity, which is the very first mark of the New Testament church. So if you're here this morning and you were like me when I first joined here, and I still got a long way to go, okay? But here's the thing. I would just encourage you to volunteer for something, whether it's treasure chest or whatever. I, I, I'm telling you, your life can be changed just by volunteering for something like treasure chest. Your life can be changed just by volunteering to help with something like sound. And, and didn't the worship team do an awesome job this morning? I mean, they just do an awesome job. I missed you guys the last few weeks, and it's so great to be back. Here's the thing. Plug in. When I, I believe with all my heart, when, it's taught, when, when we see here that they were a unified church, and you see that they're breaking bread together, and they were meeting together, and they were breaking bread in their homes, they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, that isn't telling me anything about just sitting in a pew and has nothing to do with a Sunday morning service. 
That was that they were breaking bread together. They were fellowshipping together. The church isn't about a Sunday morning service. The church isn't about the building that it comes in. It's about the people that are in it. Calling Community Church is about this awesome group of people who are trying to serve the Lord the best that they can and serve this community. That's what it's about. So I encourage you to get plugged in with, with the church by volunteering, doing what you can to get plugged in so that you will not be just a Sunday morning pew warmer. And if you're one of those, I apologize, didn't mean to step on your toes, but I'm so glad that somebody brought that to my attention, that, hey, Steve, you're missing out because you're not plugging in. You're just coming in and warming a pew and expecting stuff to be, you're expecting to receive. And there's so much more than just sitting and receiving. That is not what God, that's not what Jesus intended for the church to be about. It was not intended for us to just come in on Sunday mornings and hope that we get blessed by the worship music or the message that whoever is sharing shares. It's that we are supposed to be unified as his group of called out believers to have a positive impact on the world. Uh, I want to read this to you. It's an article by a pastor in Texas, Ray Pritchard. He said, the church should be a place where Democrats and Republicans can come together, a place where the rich and poor can come together, a place where blacks and, white, blacks and whites can come together, a place where cowboys and accountants can come together, a place where the left-brained people and the right-brained people can come together. Imagine that. A place where people who like Beethoven can get together with people who like Garth Brooks, a place where God's children can come together and they don't lose their uniqueness, they don't lose their individuality, but they join together in an atmosphere of love and acceptance. That's, that, and that is so right about it. And my brother, uh, my oldest brother, my youngest brother's pastor down in Florida. My oldest brother is a principal outside of, in the Washington, D.C. metro area. The school that he has, it's a high school, has a lot of kids that have been in the gangs. One day we were talking about it. And he has some of the kids that are in these very uh, brutal gangs, these, these criminal gangs, violent gangs. And, you know, I was asking him, I said, how do these kids, you know, because I've met some of them, they seem like great kids. And he'll say, oh, yeah, that one's in this gang, that one's in this gang. And, and I, I asked my brother, I said, how do these sharp kids get sucked into these criminal and violent gangs? And he said, because that's the first place that they feel loved and accepted. That's the, that's the first place that they feel like they have meaning. So they, get, they go into these gangs because it's the first place they feel loved and acceptance. So I feel that it's our responsibility as the Calling Community Church, we have guests come here to make them feel loved and accepted as best they can. And that is not the easiest thing for me. I'm not the guy that the party starts when Steve walks in the room. I'm more of an introverted kind of guy. I'm just being honest with you. And so, you know, Brady Rogers comes in the room. Hey, we're all happy now, man. Mr. Love is in the room, and we can feel good now, right? And the same thing with Brady Testor. That's, I'm not that way. It's not naturally the way I am, Greg. It's just not natural. So I have to work at that. So I'm trying to get better at that so that if I see a guest come in that I haven't met before, and some of you, I apologize if I don't know you by my first name. I'm gone for three weeks. I travel a lot, but I want to do better at that. But here's the thing. I feel like it's our responsibility that if somebody comes into Christ, into Calling Community Church, that they should feel loved and accepted. And one of the things, my, my brother, my younger brother, the church he pastors down, that he's a part of down in Florida, uh, I was sharing with Stephanie earlier, um, they have this thing, I asked him to speak at an event, a business event for me, and I asked him to share what's happening in the church, because their churches down there are just growing so rapidly. And, and he said, you know, Steve, the thing, if I could really define it, I mean, we're a praying church, we're a Holy Spirit-filled church, the things that, that are in that first New Testament church, and he said, and one of the things that we've really focused on is being, having a contagious culture. 
a contagious culture of love and acceptance. And when you step onto their property, before you even get into the auditorium, you feel loved and accepted. And so I think that's one of the things that, that we need to focus on is people come here on Sundays and they've come from different backgrounds and they're hurting and they've had challenges in their life. And if we can help them to feel loved and accepted, just like those teenagers that get that, you know, unfortunately feel love and acceptance the wrong place. We don't want that to happen to the teenagers here in Platte City, Platte County. So let's help them to feel love and accepted in the church of Jesus Christ. And, and that's what I think it's all about. So get involved. Don't just be a Sunday morning pew warmer. The next thing is, uh, second thing, the New Testament church was a praying church. And, and we've had sermons this past year on praying church. Um, I want to just step back to Acts 1.14. He said that they all joined together constantly in prayer. They being the apostles, plus the women, plus Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus' brothers. And there was a prayer meeting that came after the ascension and before the descent of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And they actually prayed together for 10 days before the church was launched on the day of Pentecost. They actually prayed together for 10 days. Some of us find it hard to pray for 10 minutes, right? But they prayed together for 10 days. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but here's one thing that I do believe, and that is prayer and love just seem to go together. Prayer and love seem to go together. If, if I've got to struggle with somebody, my wife helped me with this. There was an individual at work that I was struggling with. We just were... We're very different personalities, and, uh, and we just, we were butting heads a lot, and he was causing a lot of frustration for me, I'll be honest with you, and I just started having a lot of anger towards this individual, and I'm not normally that way, and my wife said, she came to me, she's so full of wisdom, um, and that's why God blessed me with, with her to keep me straight, um, and, and so she said, honey, you need to start praying for him, and I, when she first said that, I was, no, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, not, not, I mean, and, you know, and that I started trying to do that. Now, I'm not saying everything's great, but I, I can tell you this. There has not been a conflict between he and I. We still have very differing views on business leadership. But I'll tell you this. We don't have, con we haven't had conflicts in months. Fact. Just because my wife said, hey, you know what? You need to start praying for him. And so now when I start thinking about him, I start thinking about he's, as, he, he's, he's just as far from a Christian relationship with God that he should have. And that's one of the reasons we don't get along. And, and you know, so now I just pray for him that somehow, some way, maybe God will allow me to do something that will help bring him to the Lord. You know, and that's totally changed my relationship with him. I'm not saying it's great, but it has totally changed things. And we haven't had conflicts in months just because my wife said, you need to start praying for him. So I would encourage you to do this because I don't know if you are like me, but sometimes it is hard for me to really be in that right focus because life gets busy to be praying like we should. So I just encourage you to do this. On a daily basis, pray for God. And it doesn't have to be hours long, but pray for God to give you guidance. Just, just It can be a short prayer. And I'm not talking about prayer over your meal. But pray for God to give you guidance. This is one of the things that, I, again, my wife is such a model to me of those kind of things. She's a little prayer warrior. And, and then also pray for our church and pray for the people in the church. You know, we get those, those emails, text messages about who to be praying for. And I just, just take a few minutes to do that. It's amazing what happens when you start praying for other people, when you pray for God to give you guidance and then you start praying for other people. Third thing is the New Testament was a spirit-filled church. 
New Testament was a spirit-filled church. The New Testament church was a spirit-filled church. In Acts 2.4, it says all of them, not a few. And I, I believe that when it says all, that they're not just talking about the disciples. I think they're talking about everyone that was part of that group of believers, the 120 that were there. It says all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, and then Spirit enabled them. And so the secret power of the early church was they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, how many of you have been confused with what does being filled with the Holy Spirit look like and feel like? Anybody ever been that way? So you guys are way ahead of me then. Because a long time in my Christian life, I've struggled with what does that exactly, what is that like? What is, how do I know that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit? Is it, has anybody ever asked that question or am I the only one? How do I know if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit? See, we read about it all throughout the Bible, and it says in the New Testament they were filled with the Holy Spirit. My question is, how do we know we are filled with the Holy Spirit? And this is what I believe with all my heart. I've really been studying this over, the, especially the last few days, but over the last couple weeks, and it's brought some light to me that I, I didn't realize before. And that is this. I believe that when he filled the, the believers in that first church with the Holy Spirit, what happened was... He gave them boldness to speak about the message. Remember, they were being persecuted. If they shared about Jesus, they could be thrown in prison. They could be executed at the time when the church was started. And I believe that being filled with the Holy Spirit gave them boldness to share about Jesus. I believe that's probably the number one evidence. You know, a lot of people focus on signs and things like that, but I think it's about this. If you really study, like I've been trying to recently, and that is, what does it mean to be filled by the Holy Spirit? I believe it means that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, God gives you a boldness to talk about Jesus Christ. Brady, my brother here, he's filled with the Holy Spirit when he goes downtown Kansas City, just like Brother Steve that I met this morning, and with a boldness that's they can't explain. Brady's talked to me about numerous stories over and over. I could sit for hours and listen to Brady tell me story after story where God gave him a boldness that he can't explain and gave him the right words to talk to somebody to lead them to Christ. That's what I believe is when uh, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what happens to you. And by the way, do you know the fastest grow where the fastest growing church in, in the world is right now? And it has been, what's that? Who said it? China, yeah, and Korea, China and Korea. China, in, the, in a couple decades ago, was the fastest growing in the world. Korea now is, is, is up in the same league with them. But interestingly, when China was growing so fast, it was actually um, when they were under persecution, and it was underground churches. And so for like 20 years, it was against the law to, be, to talk about Christians, to meet, for Christians to meet together. And there were so many underground churches where people were meeting that when that 20-year period was over, they estimated that there were over 50 million Christians that had come to Christ during this time of persecution. And I believe the only way that could have happened was they must have been filled with the Holy Spirit with a boldness to be sharing with other people because they could have been put in prison. They could have never seen their family again if they were caught even meeting with other Christians, and yet they were having this rapid growth. Uh, Shri and I went to a college called Liberty University. That's where we met. And there we had some friends that were from Romania. I can't remember all the dates and everything, but if you remember back in the 80s, um, that whole communist era came down, and then they were allowed to have free religion in Romania for the first time. Well, we were going to school with some guys from Romania, and, I, and they were, you know, all excited. And one guy wasn't very excited, and I was, I was talking to him. I said, why are you not so excited? This is a great thing for your country. And this is what he told me. I'll never forget it, Brian. He said, I fear 
that our churches in Romania will be like the churches in America when we have the freedom. That really hit me. He said, I, I fear, and this was just a, this was like a 20-year-old kid, college kid. He said, I fear that our churches in Romania will become apathetic when we're no longer persecuted, that we won't share with boldness like we have, and that we'll just take it for granted. That's what this 20-year-old kid from Romania told me. I'll never forget that. It stuck with me forever. So here's the thing. In the New Testament, the church was filled with the Holy Spirit. Again, when you are truly filled with the Holy Spirit, I believe that it gives you boldness to preach the gospel. And if you look at Acts 4.31, you don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. There it is summarized right there for you. Acts 4.31, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and as a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit, they spoke the word of God boldly. So I would encourage you, in that daily prayer, when you're asking God for guidance and when you're praying for Collin Community Church and praying for others, to also add in that prayer that God will give you opportunities to be able to boldly speak for him. That's, that's a prayer that I'm starting now in my own life that I should have been doing years ago, Brian, but now I'm going to do it. I'm starting it now. I'm committing publicly, okay? Then I'm going to start praying every day. God, give me opportunities to speak boldly for you. But the only way I'll be able to do that is if you fill me with your Holy Spirit. And so I have to pray for him to fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fourth, New Testament church was a gospel-preaching church. Uh, it began in Acts 2.22. Peter began to preach the first gospel sermon. I think it's so cool that the Lord allowed Peter to be the person that preached the first gospel sermon after Jesus ascended. You know, because remember what happened with the, with the rooster crows three times, right? At the time of jesus crucifixion peter was the one that denied him three times for fear so what's changed during that time christ was crucified he rose from the dead on the third day then he ascended into heaven peter saw him after he ascended and here's what happened on the day of pentecost when jesus and god ushered in the holy spirit and those Christians, for the first time, had the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe now that's what happened where Peter was able to, to boldly proclaim the story of Jesus Christ because now he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So now he could boldly proclaim Christ. Here's the interesting thing was I found out, I never knew this before, but studying this week, do you know who he was talking to when he preached his first sermon? The very Jewish leaders that crucified Christ. The very people that he was denying Christ to because he feared that he might be crucified also, now because the Holy Spirit was in him so that he could boldly proclaim the gospel, he literally stood in front of that group of people. I never knew this before, Brady, until this week. That's who he was talking to. Those very same religious leaders that crucified Christ were who he was preaching to, boldly proclaiming Jesus Christ as the Son of God. It's, it's amazing. And if you read in, uh, let me, we got to mention, let me go to, I got to read this to you because it's so powerful. My wife said I have to slow down. When I get excited about things, I talk fast. So I apologize if I'm talking fast. I got a lot of information to cover in a short period of time because I know everybody's worried about lunch. So that's what I do. I talk fast. Okay, let me, let me finish this up here. But in Acts 2.38, um, he says, uh, let me see here, 2.38, um, with many other words, he warned, I'm going to go to 40. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. 
Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayer. Now, that's the four fundamentals of the Christian church right there in 42, in verse 42. Uh, apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to everyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's just powerful. Um, what you see, what happened as they were a preaching gospel. And so the question was, was it working? as they were preaching the gospel, uh, as they were um, being Holy Spirit filled. And I'll just read these to you real fast because I looked this up. Acts 2.47, it says, And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. We just read that. Um, Acts 4.4, But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. This is just a couple chapters later. Grew to about 5,000. Acts 6-7, The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. Acts 14.1, in Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews together and spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed both of Jews and the Greeks. That's a pattern that you find repeated throughout the book of Acts when the believers were filled with the Spirit and they began to preach and share Christ boldly. And so I believe that God fills you with the Holy Spirit so that you will open your mouth and share his gospel um, boldly. One pastor said it this way, the Holy Spirit gives holy boldness so that God's holy people will take the holy word of God and speak it boldly to an unholy generation. <laughs> so anyway, God, but I just believe that is really uh, what we're about to do. We're, we are to let the Holy Spirit fill us so that we can be empowered to preach the gospel. And then last point here, the New Testament church was a harvesting church. This is what really convicted me, Brady, is the church was a harvesting church. If you look at Acts 2, 9 through 11, I know I've jumped around in Acts here. Um, these are verses you've probably skipped in your quiet time reading um, when you were reading Acts earlier, okay? And it says this, Parthi Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judeo Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, now I'm going back to what we said earlier, the day of Pentecost, the harvest, uh, the feast of harvest brought together all these people from all around. And what happened? Now they have gone back. All of these different, these different people groups have gone back to their own land. And what are they doing now? They are working in this new harvest. It's not a harvest about wheat, but it's a harvest of people that Jesus Christ himself launched on the day of Pentecost when he launched the church. And so I, I believe that what happened in Acts 2 was not a coincidence at all, um, but that was to create a worldwide harvest of people. And I'm going to skip through some things here because I need to end. I had too many pages of notes here. I told Brady my problem is going to be get through all of this stuff, but I, I just got to share this with you, and that's this. There's a harvest in Acts that begins. I never put these two together until this week either. The harvest of people begins in Acts 2. But then if you read in Revelation, okay, if we go to, and I'll just read it for you. If you read in Revelation, there's also another harvest. Uh, and first, let me back up. Matthew 9, 37, 
It says, Jesus said, the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Then in John 4, 35, Jesus said, behold, look around you. The fields are white already unto harvest. And he was not referring to grain harvest. He was referring to the people harvest. And so he was saying that the church of Jesus Christ, we are God's harvest vehicle, not again for harvest of grain. And so I believe instead of calling it the church age, we should call it the harvest age. Uh, what was called the church age. And so uh, let, me, let me ask this question um, and, and want to share something with you. And I lost my verse for Romans, or for Revelation. Excuse me one second. Let me find that here. I flipped a couple pages. Here it is, Revelation 7, 9 through 10. So we're coming back to here. Revelation, so again, Acts 2, the harvest is launched. Here's another harvest that we're, we're told about in Revelation 7. How it ends in the future, Revelation 7, 9 through 10. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Interesting, just like what happened on the day of Pentecost. Standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So at the second coming of Christ, we see this vast assemblage of all these different people groups. One pastor that I was reading the commentary on this passage said that he believes Christ will not come until all people groups have experienced the gospel. I've never heard that before. You know, we're all trying to figure out when's Christ going to come again. Amen. And he said, well, it started on the day of Pentecost that it was sent out to all the people groups. But we still haven't gotten the gospel after all, over 2,000 years to all people groups in the world. And so this one pastor, I, re- I never read it before until this week, was saying he believes that Christ isn't going to come again, isn't going to return until his gospel has been preached to all people groups. And interesting, if you listen, I listen to Rick Warren a lot, and that's this new, that's his new commitment. He's trying to be a part of making sure to get the gospel of Christ to all people groups around the world. That's Rick Warren's new commitment. He's changed their mission statement of their church from just the, the Southern California community to trying to reach out into all the world to all people groups. And so has anybody in here ever been a part of a union? Anybody ever been a part of like a laborer's union or anything? Okay. Well, I just wanted to tell you all that you're a part of a union and you didn't know it. This union is, uh, the initials are C-U-I-H. Okay. Sorry, I'm sometimes lame with coming up things, but maybe it'll stick. Okay. And it's C-U-I-H, Christ's Union of International Harvesters. That's what we are. So this morning, this is a union meeting. Okay. (laughs) And we're getting our marching orders for this union that's Christ's Union of International Harvesters. That's really what it is. That's what, that's what this thing called church that we come on Sundays is. It's not to come and warm a pew and be blessed by the talented musicians and hear Brady speak and tell funny stories that we laugh at. It's that we are a part of the church to be a part of this international group of harvesters. We're not to be Christians. We're supposed to be harvesters. That's what he started the church for us to help him to do that. So we're to be united, the first key of a New Testament church, praying, spirit-filled, gospel preaching, and harvesting daily. Now, an event that I just hosted for my company, um, we had the amazing John Maxwell speak there. I was so blessed. Stephanie, you know what I'm talking about. And And he was better than I've ever heard him. It was amazing. But he shared one of the simplest things I've never heard before. And he said, it's the rule of five. And he said, if you, take a big, if you have a big oak tree that you have to chop down, and you take an axe, obviously you want to sharpen it first, and you go to that oak tree, and you just chop five times, 
and that's it for the day, and you don't do anything more, but you come back the next day and chop five more times, don't do anything more, but come back the next day, his point was consistency. And he said, what's going to happen over time is even if you only uh, move the axe five times a day, over time, because of those consistent, disciplined efforts, that big oak tree will eventually fall down. And he, he was parallel, and he got into some spiritual things there, because he knew he talked to a group that had a lot of Christians there, and he stepped away from that. It's the same way in our spiritual life. See, sometimes we don't see things moving as fast as we, we don't feel like God's answering our prayers. But the bottom line is we just reached out in this one moment of desperation and called out to him instead of consistently every day praying for our children. Instead of every day consistently praying for our health. Instead of every day consistently praying that people will come to our church. Now I'm looking around this room here and typically I think we have over 100 people. I was asking Brady what are the numbers. I think it's typically over 100, right? And so the upper room had 120 people on the day of Pentecost, and one day later, there was over 3,000 people were added to their numbers, it says in the Bible, after Peter preached that. I don't know about you all, but I'm kind of tired of seeing all these seats empty. I believe there's about 500 seats in here. And so I just challenge you, I'm challenging myself, that's why I said I was very uncomfortable about sharing this message, because I knew it was more of a challenge to me than it was anybody else in here, that you know, I'm kind of tired of seeing a bunch of empty seats in here. We have this amazing, amazing Savior with this reckless love who comes after us, and we're not sharing it with other people. And that's the only reason why these seats aren't. We got great musicians. It's not the worship. We got great pastor in Brady whose heart's bigger than he is, and, and he just shares from his heart. That's what I love about him. He's real, and so people can identify him. So it, it's not, it's just that we, as the body, are not sharing to bring people in to fill the seats. And that's what I've been challenged with. And so I just encourage you, this year is let's become the Christ Union of International Harvesters, okay? And let me just share with you one last thing here. I know, I'm, I'm Brady, I'm going to bring you up, okay? Uh, and that's this. Uh, I don't know if you ever read the, the book Radical Together, okay? Fabulous book. I encourage you to read it. And he's, David Platt, the author, says this. And so this is my challenge, my urging to you, okay? And I'll wrap up with this, Brady. Regardless of your place in the church, remember that you are not intended to be sidelined in the kingdom of God. You may at times feel like the wrong person, thinking you're not gifted enough, that you're not smart enough, that you're not talented enough, that you're not qualified enough to engage in effective ministry. This is simply not true. You have the word of God before you, the spirit of God in you, so that you can boldly proclaim him. And the command of God to you is make disciples of all nations. That's, that's the great commission. We all know it. We all know it. We just don't take action on it. And so he says, so whether you are a businessman or a businesswoman, whether you are a lawyer or a doctor, a consultant or a construction worker, a teacher or a student, an on-the-go professional or an on-the-go stay-at-home mom, I implore you to ask God to make your life count where you live for the spread of the gospel and the declaration of His glory to the ends of the earth. Thanks again for choosing this podcast from the Calling Community Church. We hope it leaves you encouraged. If you need more information about the church or need to talk to someone about prayer or faith in Jesus, please visit our website, thecallingcommunitychurch.com and fill out the contact form. We look forward to hearing from you and hope you have a blessed day.